welcome to Season 9 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the great pleasure of sharing a discussion that I recently had with Dr. Keith Haggett and Stephen Colbert. Stephen has been a guest on the podcast previously and, amongst other things, is one of the hosts of the Teacher Takeaway podcast. Keith is a first-time guest and is a lecturer in learning design at the University of Technology, Sydney. In this discussion, we talked about their recent work, Empowering Teachers and Democratising Schooling Perspectives from Australia. This work is a collection of essays and insights from teachers that outline logistical and ideological challenges faced by educators and discusses the innovative ideas and solutions that can be adapted to a wide range of educational practices. I hope that you get as much out of this discussion as I did. Please enjoy. And Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Um, I'm aware that it is uh, an evening, and uh, Stephen, you're about to uh, about to welcome another addition to the family. Yeah, yeah, all going well. We're about three weeks out, so I've um, got, got a lot more free time than normal, uh, which is an enjoyable but uh, quite traumatic experience. You know, I'm normally doing 400 things at once. And uh, yeah, just trying to not think about the elephant in the room, which is coming down the pipeline. Nice and one. now you're only doing 350 things at once. You know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's he's funny. And um, where uh, whereabouts are you phoning in from, Stephen? Uh, I'm in uh, Victoria, Melbourne, Glenroy, uh, lands of the Wurundjeri people. Yeah. Fantastic. And and Keith, um, I'd love to bring you into this conversation here. Where are you phoning in from? What's happening in your life? I can see uh, a lot of certificates on the background. <laughs> Oh, everyone, everyone always talks about the certificates in the background and I always have to say they're not all mine okay some of them are my wives but gee they look good don't they <laughs> they do look good where are you phoning in from Keith I'm coming to you from Daraglands um which is western Sydney just uh just on the the banks of the Darabin or Nepean River nice nice part of the world amazing and quite possibly the most important uh question for our conversation today Stephen uh what's your coffee order when I can finally uh swing back down to Melbourne and buy you something to drink well, unfortunately, I drink hot chocolate. So uh, as as a Melbourneian, that's kind of like, you know, like having the plague. But anyway, that's, that's my order. Yeah. Don't worry, mate. We can edit that out. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> Keith, what about yourself? I, I would love to say something interesting, like a, a turmeric latte or something, but I'm just a, a flat white person. Same. Pretty plain. Uh, do you think your coffee or your drink order says a lot about yourself? uh keith what do you think uh, i adopted steve jobs principle that like if i don't have to think about it it's one less decision i can make and i can focus my attention on the important stuff yeah. but uh that might be wishful thinking nice one nice uh, the title, Nick, yeah? 
that's that's how funny Stephen um is there something that is I know you've actually sorry been on the podcast before um Mm. and so it is uh, you're the only person to uh have come back for round two so I'm very grateful for that uh but is there um something still on your bucket list that you haven't managed to tick off Someone asked me that in a job interview that I didn't do well in just, oh, no. just a while ago, and I said no. Uh, <laughs> I think that's partly why I didn't get the job. I don't know. I'm at the point where I'm like, I've done all this cool stuff. How can I help other people to do other cool stuff for them? Fantastic. But that sounds pretty conceited, but that's me. Nice one. Yeah. And, and Keith, apart from uh, adding more certificates to your back wall, is there anything else on your uh, anything else on your bucket list? Oh, there's so many things. I just. I don't know how you, you know, I, I couldn't just have a bucket list. I need lists of lists, you know, but I'll, I'll come up with something. I want to go and do an archaeological dig somewhere. Any particular region, Keith? No, no, it, it, just the experience. Maybe I've watched too much. What was that TV show, that that um, Time Team or something like that? I mean, I was an ancient history teacher a long time ago, Um and I've always enjoyed that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it'd be, I think it'd be, it'd be fun. You know, I, I think I need to go sooner rather than later before my knees give out. <laughs> nice one. And um, Stephen, just wondering, um, and then maybe you could follow up, Keith, if you don't mind. Um, is there a book uh, that you've recently read uh, that's caused you to uh, just reconsider a few things in your life? Yeah, for me, um, and obviously it lead, leads in pretty neatly to our book, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, Flip the System Australia was the book that changed my life. Uh, as a teacher, uh, Deb Nedlicky, John Andrews and Cameron Patterson, the three teachers who like edited a book and published it. And I was just like, wow, that's a thing you can do. Um, and like, you know, the book is full of all these chapters of people that I've always known of or heard of and sort of, you know, seen around the traps. And each one of them had a chapter that was like this amazing thing. Like, you know, Cameron Melcher says, oh, podcasting, we should all do it. Um, And then only years later, I came to realize that the nature of teaching is kind of that you only get one thing, like you only ever get one chapter. And I sort of, that that kind of, that, that sort of crushed me a little bit, you know, like I'm the, I'm the flip learning YouTube guy. And it's like, yeah, cool. What's next? And it's sort of like, well, I don't have, what do you mean? I don't have enough time for two tricks. It's just the one trick. Um, so that changed my life and made me reconsider a whole bunch of things. And I was like, you know, hence hence our book came to be. And one of our reviewers said our book was better than that book. So I was like, well, that's that's my bucket list done, you know. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, what, uh, what about you, Keith? Anything that you've read? It could be within your sphere, sphere of expertise or it could be more broadly. Um, but it's the same that you have read uh, that has really cause you to reconsider a few things in your life well i was gonna actually segue really nicely from from Stephen and say um our book you know putting together our book that we we edited was just fundamentally a really significant moment for me because all right i've been in education for for 25 years you know i feel like i know a fair amount about what's going on in all kinds of different levels but the opportunity to talk and we'll get to this i'm sure but Please. but having those conversations with those teachers was was incredible in, in the first instance. But then the amount of sheer backbreaking labor of, of getting 18 chapters to a point where it was, you know, good enough to send off to the publishers. I, I, I said to Stephen a few times as we were putting it all together, it would have been easier if we'd just written all 18 chapters ourselves, but it wouldn't have been as good, you know. So so yeah, I think I think I think that really changed the way I I, I approached 
you know, writing and 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 I think teaching as well. Yeah. And Keith, what was it sort of specifically about um, the editing process? I think this is a great segue into your amazing work. Um, uh, what was it specifically about the ed- education? So the editing process that yeah. was particularly uh, challenging, moving, frustrating, or inspiring, all of those things. I remember when we sent out the book for the initial peer reviews and, and they came back and they were incredibly positive. But <laughs> one reviewer wanted us to restructure the chapters to go, you know, chapter 10, 9, 6, 5. And the other person wanted an entirely different kind of approach. And so the the really hard thing for us was was wrestling with that kind of feedback and working out what to do, but also finding a way to get 18 different voices and and deliberately different that was the whole point of the book right mm. to to then share their you know to, to have some kind of common thread or or a narrative that if you picked it up and you started off at the introduction and got to the conclusion you would have felt you've been on a journey and you understood where we as the editors were the, the point we were trying to make yeah. and, and finding a way to to privilege those voices to to celebrate those voices but also to shape them in such a way that that narrative was retained. That was probably the hardest part. Yeah. And, and, and Stephen, was that a similar experience for you? Like what was that process like? And for those people that are not aware, um, I'll, I'll put a link to where you can get a copy of the book. It's called Empowering Teachers and Democratising Schooling, Perspectives from Australia. Um, but Stephen, back to you, was that a similar experience to, to what Keith was talking about that, that you share? Um, well, for me as a practising teacher, like it was kind of, it's always something I've been like I've de- developed as my technique. Like you start because, as you would know, or every teacher sort of has that one thing that they're really good at, that little thing that they tweak and they tweak and they tweak, and you sort of, you know, like a person with a, a knife whittling away at a piece of wood, you slowly come to shape it into something really good. And so for us, like you know, this started off as you know a couple of tweets back and forth somewhere, and then you know, four years down the track, it's a published book etc etc um and to me that's like that's that's what teaching at its best that's what teaching could be you know like if we if we turn the microphone back onto you and said you know tell us that one thing that you do you could not only tell us why it's good how it works why it's good in the classroom but given enough time and and enough actual you know commitment to it you could explain why that's important in the world how it fits within your community and maybe just your community, whether it's worth sharing beyond that, um, all those sort of things. So for me, uh, and that's, you know, for me that I think academic publishing has a real space for that because, you know, you can write something and develop it and develop it to the point where it's, you know, it's pretty close to perfect. And then you send it to someone and they say, as Keith said, this is rubbish, start again. And that to me is like the ultimate form of education. Like, to actually have true experts in your field read what you've done um, is amazing. And within teaching, that's, for me, that's the thing that's most missing. Like no one's ever come to my class, basically ever. And when they have, they've sort of gone, oh, gee, yeah, you know, didn't see your learning intentions up there or whatever. Yeah, right. uh, while the kids are there, you know, everyone's hairs are up on the back of their neck and they're going, oh, this is good. And I'm I'm pretending I don't know anything. And the kid in the back's going, oh, I know that's and blah 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 and at the end they go yeah you know didn't really get what you were doing there and then I go yeah okay great <laughs> you know that's, that's, the, that's the contrast to me yeah 
that, that's so interesting, um, Stephen. And I think what, what is really interesting about this partnership between yourself and Keith is that you're both coming at things, both coming at education from different points of view. And I can imagine, um, Keith, what has your experience like being predominantly in or currently in academia and actually writing for an audience of teachers who are in classrooms? Um, has that been a challenge? Because I know you've had a lot of experience as a history teacher, but what's that like to actually go back to the basics and 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 write something which is so applicable and so approachable for teachers in their classrooms? Um, <laughs> at, at the risk of... of sounding you know being a little bit controversial i'm still a teacher you know i'm writing for my people right we're all teachers um and and i I still see myself as a teacher sure i'm a teacher who does some other things now but i spend you know a couple of days every week in the classroom not not a high school classroom it's still a classroom (laughs) um so so it wasn't such a huge gap but one of the things that convinced me that i absolutely had to do this book and we had to do it in the way that we ended up doing it, was I was talking to a, a very respected, and, and respected by me, professor in uh, our education department. And he was explaining to me, you know, the work that he's doing with teachers, and it's it's very good work, and it's won lots of awards, but he was doing it to the teachers, not even with the teachers. You know, so so it was kind of collaborative, and he was talking to the teachers about their practices, and they were going to get something out of it. But I felt like saying they're, they're, they're the partners in the research, you know, put their name on the on the front cover of whatever you get out of it, you know, because it, it should be this this process that we're all in it together. And, yeah. I, and I know that sounds incredibly cliched, but I think sometimes the biggest bashes of teachers, and there's plenty of them, and they line up to, to have a go, are the teacher educators. And, and it goes both ways. Sometimes the teachers are quite happy to to bash their their you know university teacher educators as well. But I've always felt that's profoundly unproductive. Yeah, that's that that's really um that's a really sort of uh, prova- profound insight um, because I I never really thought about that. I mean, uh, Stephen, from your point of view, did you kind of you've obviously your your great at your craft you're very experienced you're a prolific writer you're you you've you're doing a lot of things did you sort of see yourself as an academic writer because for me even that term or that concept is is particularly terrifying uh was it something which you had to grapple with because you're a uh an editor of a a very significant uh teacher manuscript um yeah what was that process like for you uh, for me as a writer and an editor, I think I'm a I'm a terrible writer. And the reason I'm a terrible writer is because I've done too much uh, university study. And um, I can write a boring piece of writing way better than I can write an interesting piece of writing. Uh, and that's me saying that as an English teacher, you know, and, and that's sitting in every class every day saying, okay, kids, we're going to write something and I'll write something too and put it on the screen. And the students go, eh, not so good kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. To me, it's it's in, always important, always been important for me to have a, a a next level, a next step, a next whatever. Um, and that to me, that's something you really want to model to your students to say, you know, it's not like I clock off at the end of the day and I go, well, I led the learning, and then you go, well, now I'll go watch maths or <laughs> I don't even watch TV, as you can tell from my dated reference to maths or whatever. Uh, but it's not like I clock off and you know go watch ads and 
you know, sit on YouTube or whatever. It's like I'm learning's fascinating, learning's wonderful. So that's what I'm going out there and doing. Um, the process of editing uh, in this role sort of made me realize, like, oh, I kind of have something uh, to offer because you know I've written bits and pieces here and there all around the place. Um, but it's only when you have a first-time author kind of saying, you know, is this what a academic article could look like, should look like, etc., that you kind of go. Oh, I've got a couple of instincts and a couple of ideas that can sort of point them in the right direction. And, you know, a couple of times where you go, oh, that's not quite the research you, you should be looking at. Look at this article, look at this, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a fascinating process. I mean, all learning is. So it's it's not, not anything sort of esoteric or strange, but it's just sort of really interesting and an important process, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, Keith, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um. Do you agree with the? Uh, do you agree that sort of academic writing uh, needs a bit of a rebrand? Uh, can you see why people may find um, it a bit terrifying? Not, not a rebrand. It needs to be entirely thrown <laughs> out and, and and you know remodeled. Yeah, um, yeah. No, let's not rebrand it. Let's renovate the whole shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you know this is the power of of institutional academia, right? Because as we were putting together this, this our ideas for this book, and I, I, I can't remember who came up with the idea, but one of us came up with the idea of having these teacher chapters interwoven with academic chapters. So, so trying to generate this this notion of a conversation, bridging that gap between the people in academia and the people in the classrooms. Um, and as we started talking about who might uh, be invited to contribute or who might put forward their name to do a chapter as a teacher. We, we quickly realised that we it wouldn't be fair to expect them to write a academic, you know, heavily referenced, um, you know, engaging with the philosophical ideas kind of chapter because that's, one, not what they were probably interested in writing. It's not certainly not what they wanted to write and, and whether they, they had the capability or not wasn't really what we were looking for. You know, we wanted those those kind of, not raw, because that, that makes it sound, um, you know, like they're not professional. But we wanted that that real teacher voice. Um, and, and I felt a little bit uncomfortable about that. I was like, oh, is this really an academic book then? You know, <laughs> what about my metrics? Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I realised that maybe this is, is, is one of these, these kind of paradigmatic insights that you were talking about. The more I realised that the book itself is a product of research <laughs> you know it's it's a research object in and of itself um and i think the teachers chapters are actually the best part of the book <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely I, I couldn't agree more um stephen just to get um a, a little bit personal uh if you don't mind i'm just reading your dedication in the book uh which i think is particularly beautiful to your wife you said i'd like to my kids had a go at me. My students, rather, not my kids. My students <laughs> had a go at me for that. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, it is going to come back to uh, inspire part of our conversation. So for those that haven't got a copy of the book that are listening to it, listening to me now, it says, I would like to dedicate this book to my wife, Jemima, who is the heart of every room and the leader of every group. Tell me why your, uh, why your wife um, inspires you so much and why uh, use those such wonderful words uh, in your dedication. 
Um, I don't know. In, for me, in my married life, there's like my wife, who's this vibrant, vivacious person, and then there's me, who's mostly just sitting in a room typing, you know, various places and kind of saying, "Oh, well, actually, did you know uh, if uh, if you were actually uh, re- read about that, then uh, you know that kind of thing." I'm that one. Um, and so, yeah, it's very important to me that, uh, you know, the patriarchy being, you know, something that we're all involved with, um, that that's made quite clear up front. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I'm just a, a typical male, very interested in uh, very niche topics. Uh, whereas my wife is, as I said, the heart of every room and the leader of every group she's ever been a part of. Um, yeah. And to me, and I don't know, this, you know, this gets me excited. Like, um, one of our authors, Steffi Salazar, you know, posting pictures of her little daughter holding holding a copy of the book and saying, you know, being able to say to her daughter, you know, I'm an author, I'm a published author like that. That's something that's really important to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, giving other people those opportunities is something that's just like, yeah, gets me excited. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm the, uh, of of my married life, I'm the, the dull one of the two, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh- Stephen, I'll come back in a minute after I've put Keith through a similar ringer and just ask you about fatherhood and how that has, I would imagine, profoundly changed your life and your approach to teaching. But Keith, you didn't get off the hook that easy. <laughs> so in your dedication, you said, I would like to dedicate this book to my wife, Elizabeth, who continues to inspire me with her commitment to the students that she teaches. What is uh, particularly uh, inspiring about your wife and her commitment to her students? Um, <laughs> oh, I, I didn't think we were, I, I didn't realise that we were going to talk about this. This is quite nice, actually. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a number of... Um, I mean, I like to ask questions that you probably can't Google. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I, over to you and Stephen, uh, coming back to you shortly. So, uh, yeah. I think um, <laughs> the first thing I should say is that I obviously wasn't as persuasive as as Stephen because I tried <laughs> to get my wife to write a chapter for the book, but she didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife is a, is a maths and science teacher, a uh, high school teacher. Um, yeah. And the thing that... You know, like, uh, obviously, you know, I care very deeply for her. But the thing I admire about her professionally is her relentless attention to detail. Um, you know, so she's she's got all of the kinds of things that teachers need to make good teachers, but she's got things that I, I, I've never been able to do. Um, like, she she's follows up on homework. She makes notes and she remembers who hasn't done their homework. And she applies the school policies with fairness and equity and and decency in ways that I was like, oh, that's too much work. I'll never get around to doing that. And she is unfailingly, unfailingly honest with herself and with the students and with, you know, <laughs> the, speaking truth to power is, is almost how they, you know, could define Elizabeth. It's, it's just, yeah, incredible stuff. Amazing. Amazing. Um, as uh, as promised, Stephen, how uh, how is being a father, or about to be another, uh, not another father, you're already a father, about to be a another father. father. <laughs> <laughs> how uh, how has being a father sort of impacted your life, and also your approach to teaching, and 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 why we do what we do? Yeah, well, for, I don't know. For me, like, and you know, not to get too deeply psychological, but broadly speaking, my wife and I tried to have kids, didn't work. And basically it was, I don't know whether we ever spoke about it or not, but at some point we sort of just said, oh, well, education is our thing. So we'd 
We'd teach full-time. We'd go fly over to Cambodia, teach Cam Khmer teachers during our holidays. Then we'd run the organization during our off time. We'd run meetings. We'd be involved in every union, PD, everything you could think of. Um, and then, you know, we discovered my wife had endometriosis, which is, you know, a separate topic worthy of itself. Um, and as a result of, you know, proper treatment, several surgeries later, uh, we now have a two-year-old son and a, and a zero-year-old three weeks away. Um, and that dramatically changed everything, I guess, because we went from like um, being basically like the most underpaid uh, teacher extraordinaires going around doing everything you could think of. We were known to everyone doing everything um, to just now we don't um and i don't and uh it's it's kind of nice it's just yeah when when the day's done then uh then it's family time and that's um something that i sort of i think even as a kid i was very clucky and i was like you know i'll, I'll have kids and i'll be a family person and um actually this is this is getting deep my dad was uh an orphan for a long time so he always raised us to be like you know Family is the most important thing, and now I've got that. And um, I named named my our first son after my dad's dad, um, and so he cried, and then I cried, and everyone cried, and ever since then, it's just been nice crying. This is <laughs> wow, big. something I've never said before. Well, I, I, uh, I've never said anything, but there you go. Yeah, I, I really appreciate. Um, I really appreciate your honesty, and 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 I know that's such a challenging journey and for me um it took us a really long time to have kids as well um and so for me um our little one has just started kindy this year so all of a sudden this thing that i'm talking about about kind of education it's all sort of up here right now it's it's mm -hmm. it's personal for me because my little one is in the system that i am contributing to and so for me it's um it's just changed everything i mean we just sat on the on the floor and did her homework and she told me that uh she could read now and she didn't need my help and i thought she's mm -hmm. deluded um and so she's <laughs> definitely not gifted um and so we sat on the floor and we we did homework while our other one jumped up and down and, and caused a ruckus and tried to draw on the walls and and i think it's these um it's these moments that i hold so dearly um and it's these these sort of interruptions that are not interruptions if that makes sense and so mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that and um it's a hugely um personal journey so thank you um mm. Keith, i wanted to come back to you um do you reckon, um have you got balance in your life keith yeah yeah oh you know <laughs> you pretty busy yeah i i think i think um i'm very fortunate to have a very supportive wife yeah um you know and and i work pretty hard I think we all do right teachers teachers by and large do work hard um and I'm pretty pretty focused you know if if something is a waste of time I very rarely do it twice um you know I'd rather focus my energies on on where I think I get more more bang for my buck if I can use that terrible phrase um but yeah you know so so I've got I've got two young kids as well um yeah so my daughter is in year two. My son just started kindy as well. Um, wow. And they do profoundly change your life. 
um, you know, in, in ways that, that challenge and stretch you as well as a, as a human being. <laughs> yeah. uh, my brother just had his his first uh, son uh, and, and I was saying, you know, there's nothing particularly challenging about looking after kids, but it is just relentless. It is nonstop. <laughs> and, and you just, you know, you, you go from, from being tired all the time. <laughs> But um, you know, that's that's part of the the fun, right? When you go to work for a break, you know that's bad. It's not a, it's 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 full on, (laughs) but just it is an incredible um gift and something. As I mentioned, Stephen, that we and uh, and Keith, that we it took us a really long time to have kids, and it's something which I do not take for granted. Um, and so I'm very aware of what serves what. While it is an absolute privilege to get to do what we do. The only reason why I can get up each morning and the only reason why I can go and give everything to my job and spend time recording these discussions with amazing educators like yourself is because the people that I care about at home are okay and that they're being looked after. Um, and so, wow, we got a bit uh, philosophical there, guys. I really <laughs> uh, I, I really appreciate it. Um, In I a was, good way. I was <laughs> just wondering, Keith, why, um, why the title of the book? I found that really intriguing. I mean, it's empowering teachers and democratizing schooling. Um, I get the empowering teachers bit, um, but what on earth does democratizing schooling mean and why is it important to have an Australian perspective on that? Yeah. Well, my my first book <laughs> was um, about uh, work that I did in my PhD, which was about civics and citizenship education and, and the the 10-second summary is it was about designing learning experiences to encourage young people to become active and informed members of their community, right? So this is this is fundamental to what it means to go to Australian schools. You know, you you're it, I think it's the second second goal of Australian schooling. If you look at the Alice Springs Mapartway Declaration, there it is, uh, develop active and informed members of the community. And I like that a lot. Because it's not about test scores and it's which is which are important. It's not about maths or or literacy or numeracy, all of which I think are really important. Yeah. Um, but it's the reason why. You know, so why do we teach people to be literate and numerate? We teach them that so that they can become creative, active, informed members of their community. And more importantly than even that, they can work towards making a more just society. Yeah. Um, and you know this is this is hardly revolutionary. Um, you know we could probably go back to the the eighteen hundreds and find people like Jean Jacques Rousseau talking about what what good schooling should look like and the purpose of good schooling. Most people I think have probably heard of people like John Dewey um, and his work about you know um, democracy is a verb and you know it's a a mode of associated living and, and schools are the training grounds for this. But the the more time I spend in this space talking to teachers about it, I, I realise that our schools are often not these these places that uh, energise a love for democracy, a love for justice. Unfortunately, often, and especially when you look at the system as a whole, they entrench injustice. Um, and I find that deeply troubling. So, so our hope in in putting together this book was to start a conversation about how we, mm. as educators, might make our schooling system, and thus hopefully Australia, a little more democratic than it currently is. Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. Do you have um, 
anything to contribute to that? And I'd love to also ask a follow-up question in a moment about um, some of those challenges of, of, of I understand your a Teach Meet symposium was cancelled um, and then you had to kind of take an event uh, that was online into something, sorry, something which was offline into something which is very much online. And so mm-hmm. maybe uh, what does that term democratisation mean to you? And why was it important to talk about that in terms of an Australian context then? If you wouldn't mind maybe chatting a little bit about your experience with TeachMate, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so as I said, Flip the System Australia changed my life. The idea being, if you think of teaching, it's like a pyramid or a triangle, you know, either or. Um, at the top, you've got your principal, then you've got your teachers, you know, as your as your S kickers down the bottom, doing the, uh, the schlub labour. And Flip the System says we need to flip it the other way around and hear what the teachers have to say. Um, and I sort of thought, 100% agree with that conception, but then the question becomes, and then what? Um, you know, what's the goal after that? And so originally we pitched this book as being called, um, as as Parsi said at the book launch, he was the, one of the early reviewers throughout the book, and he said it was a terrible title in his uh, very dry and droll way. Um, uh-huh. Originally we had it called uh, Challenging che- Teacher Bashing. Um, and, you know, as teachers, we're pissed off, uh, you know, Every time I open a newspaper, it's like, what was I just reading the other day? There was a headline that said, um, we've ranked the best and the worst schools in Australia. And then you click the link and it says, here are the best and the worst schools based on student-teacher ratio. And you go, what the hell's that got to do with anything? Like, you know, if it was, if there was some way to tell us the best and the worst schools, I'd be like, yeah, okay, fair enough. You've done that. But yeah, it's like... Well, here's an opportunity to uh, make teachers and schools uh, sound sound terrible. Um, but yeah, student-teacher ratio. So literally, what ratio of teachers are there for what ratio of students? And then, you know, if if you're an expert, you can click on it. I went to Victoria it, and it said flippantly, oh, one of the schools nearly has more teachers than students. Uh, and then you click on what it is. Oh, it's Sydney Road Community College. So that's students that um, need to be re... Basically, they're not going to school. They're refusing school, their school refuses, they're all those things. Um, and so they go to these very special, very specialised school where you have almost as many teachers as students and almost as many violent attacks as as a result, drug use, etc. Um, and someone who's never been to any of these schools just sits there and looks at a number on a score and says, oh, that's, that's not good. So that's the kind of thing that gets me rolled up, um, teacher bashing. But obviously, no one wants to pick up a book called Challenging Teacher Bashing because it's double negative. Well, Keith does, and I do. Um, but it's like a double negative, you know, which probably isn't really, not that any of this stuff flies off the shelves. Um, you know, if one person reads it, then that's job done. Um, but yeah, empowering. If And I look back on my, my whole career as, you know, we're in year 13 of teaching. Um, that's pretty much been my whole thing. If anyone... If you want to get me out of bed to do something, you know, at two in the morning to, you know, European timeline, you just say we want you to represent teachers or speak for teachers or the status of teachers, any of those words, and I'll crawl over glass to be there and to talk about uh, the kind of stuff that I like to talk about. So empowering teachers because, and again, I'm going to go back to the flip the system idea. If tomorrow we said, okay, leadership, we've got rid of all of leadership, teachers, what do you think? Um, I can honestly imagine you'd have a room full of teachers sitting there kind of a bit confused, waiting for someone to tell them what they were going to do next. And that's not because we're hopeless or we're disorganized or anything like that, but just because of the nature of schooling. 
basically if you're a teacher that means at some point you're a good student someone said you should go to university you went to university then you became a teacher and it's only mid to late career that you start to think like you know what Keith's book was about why are we doing this um what do we actually want for the world you know like and yeah. you know, as you said speaking about being a parent like the first time you turn up at kinder creche primary school early childhood center whatever it is you realize oh I'm now in an educator's space and I have to establish a relationship with them not as you know you can't just be sending emails do this do that serve my child I'm an advocate for my kid like they're in the system the system that you've been trying to shape your whole life and now, now it feels you know pretty important that things are being done properly so yeah, yeah empowering teachers we need to lift them up off the bottom of the uh status pile I guess yeah interesting um Stephen what I was your teach me at all do I oh no that's okay I was just that's it was a very uh poorly uh asked question from my point of view but um tell me about your experience with teach me i know really early on uh in my career um the first professional learning i went to was a trinity grammar school in sydney and they mm. were hosting a teach meet and uh it's interesting that you mentioned that tell me about your experience with uh with teach meets yeah so for me like um professional learning and keith and i've written about this and i've read many papers on it it's like um like the Simpsons episode where they put makeup in a shotgun and they just shoot you in the face with it. And then at the end you say, I, not that I developed, but that I learned. And so, you, you know, whether we call it like a, a very instrumental, very instructional, you know, teachers deliver good results, establish learning, all those sort of things. PD for me has been an absolute um, awful experience pretty much all throughout my career. In school, out of school, paying big money, flying to different countries, et cetera. Um, and then I heard that people uh, people were running something called Teach Meets in uh, New South Wales. Mm. Like most things in education, New South Wales is the hive of everything and Victoria is uh, very much not. Uh, so I sort of thought, oh, you know, maybe I could run a Teach Meet. Um, but I think back then I had you know, 20 followers or something, so they'd all need to have turned up to make a room full at best. Oh, no, um, that's I thought, you know, I thought we could run a Teach Meet. Uh, how hard could it be? You know, you literally set up a PowerPoint, get a clicker or something, uh, and you get teachers together and they tell you, you know, what I talked about before. Everyone's got their one thing, whatever it is. Um, and so we started running those. And, you know, I'd be the one saying at the staff meeting, oh, we're running a teach meet here tonight. If anyone wants to finish teaching, finish a staff meeting and then come back for a bonus voluntary teach meet. Uh, and everyone looked at me like I was, you know, imbibing certain substances. Um, but we did that for ages until, you know, COVID shut us down. But in, in the same sense, like we went from, you know, 14 teachers who'd meet up in a room, talk about teaching for two hours, then go and have dinner and talk about teaching for three more hours whilst drinking, um, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. We went from that to running it online and having, you know, 500, 400, 600 people tuning in live and chatting away and typing and all those sort of things. And so the impetus for this book was one of those teach meets and it was the it was the uh, the standout hit um, because we had some really good teachers and some really good academics and Jane Cara and the like, Adrian Pickley, these sort of quite impressive names. Um, and yeah, again, like we started at a reasonable hour, seven o'clock and come around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, people were still presenting and talking. And so, yeah, TeachMeet is like one of these democratic technologies. Like it's 
started someone went to a conference a teaching conference amazing about 15 years ago in ireland they said this is the pub they stood around talking about education and so that's how teach me it was born like there's no no branding you don't have to you can take it anyone who's hearing this could take it and run one tomorrow and it's already been set up the structures in place to make of it what you will um and yeah so then for us that became a book down the line because we thought we need to capture this energy this enthusiasm these ideas um but yeah teach meets changed a lot of people's lives that i know yeah like as i said it was the the first professional learning i went to in my first gosh first couple of months in this school and it was great like i i i found my my network and i found my tribe of people that were borderline obsessed with their work which i thought was wonderful uh and i just remember having the opportunity straight away to present um at a teach meet and it was uh terrifying and exhilarating and uh all of those things at once which were was really wonderful um Keith, uh, take me back to uh, when you were at school. Uh, do you have a story of a favourite teacher and how did they make you feel? Oh, gosh. Um, um, that's a really great question. <laughs> we we moved around a lot when I was mm. when I was young because um, my dad was in the army. So we, you know, every two years we'd, we'd move states and go somewhere different. Um, and so I wouldn't say that my schooling was disrupted. I, I like to think that I got to experience lots of different kinds of schools so you know so so I went to public schools and I went to Catholic schools and yeah um but I think I don't know that, that's such a there were so many good teachers you know and and I think I think there's nothing extraordinary about it that you know we probably all can remember lots and lots of good teachers mm. I do remember my year um what was a year eight English teacher uh, and I, I used to love English. I used to like writing stories, and I, I read voraciously everything that I could get my hands on. I remember <laughs> one time uh, they tried to kick me out of the adult section. No, like you know, not not adult. adult. <laughs> uh, that's it, Keith. That is a podcast episode in itself. But we have to grab quote for the promo. <laughs> like the, the adult section of the Waverley Library because I was. You know, because I'm, I'm too old to read kids. Library and uh, yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting. Off you go. <laughs> um, but but my year eight teacher, his name was Mr. Pudel. He he uh, he was this American guy, this big American guy, and and he just celebrated everything that I wanted to write about. You know, and he he would critique it, and he would send it back, and and he would um, you know, write all over it. But but I felt like finally somebody is is listening to me. Somebody is reading the stuff I'm writing and somebody is saying, you know what, in this school obsessed with rugby league, and it's okay to write stories about, you know, aliens and, and monsters and things like that. And I, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I like rugby league as well, but, you know, I, I also liked other things. And it was, yeah, it was, I think he was one of them. There were plenty of others. I could also tell you about um, Mr. Fallick. That was his name. <laughs> Can you believe that? That's a terrible <laughs> name for a team. Just found the other uh, grab for the uh, the podcast. <laughs> he, um, he was he, he used to travel to the UK to get his suits tailor made, um, huh. you know. But he, he had just this this kind of urbane knowledge about anything and everything that I thought, gee, that's you know, if you can you can find something to talk about, no matter what's going on, that's that's a sign of somebody who's well educated. And I always thought that, yeah. No, there were lots. I was, I was very, very fortunate. But those two spring to mind. Amazing. 
And and Stephen, um, just before I ask you a, a slightly different uh, question, do you have a a favourite teacher as well that you remember, and 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 why is that the case? Um, this to me, this is a tricky question because I was uh, very much the student sitting there reading a book, uh, waiting for the interesting lesson to begin. Um, often it, it never did, but you know <laughs> that's kind of the thing. Uh, but no, I have a very strong memory of a, a Mr. Gowie in primary school who I've since tried to chase up, and he's off living in the living in a in the forest in a cabin or something, you know, dynamic like that, which I think you know should be the what happens to all teachers after they retire, you know, go out and live in the woods or something. Um, and similarly, uh, a teacher who I had for PE as a in my final year of schooling was particularly memorable. Um, we used to. I was probably one of the only kids in this school who'd um at recess I'd be in the library reading and then at lunchtime we'd be in the weight room getting trying to get buff so we could dunk and again that probably tells you that I'm six foot seven rather than anything else uh, but he'd be uh you know he'd teach us in class and then he'd go there and he'd supervise us in the weight room and um, he had a massive set of guns on him and we'd be sitting there you know <laughs> wow one day you know as we sort of as you can imagine, teenagers in a weight room not really knowing what they're doing, but feeling the machismo need to be in a weight room doing what we're not, we weren't really sure, except, you know, lifting up heavy things probably in terribly inadequate ways. Um, but yeah, that's one that sort of stuck, stuck out as, you know, he was sort of um, bringing more of himself to school than um, than just, you know, teaching his lessons and going, going out to smoke out the back or something. Yeah. I, I had the privilege of interviewing um, the teacher that changed my life, a lady called um, Mrs. Taylor Jones um, on one of the podcasts. And um, I actually got quite emotional. Um, I, it was in the middle of England. Um, so I went to school in the middle of England and, and went back a number of years ago to see her or to see my mum, sorry, and to see her. We sort of stayed in contact. And um, I, I was reminded of the incredible uh, influence that, teachers have on people's lives like I saw her as a grown man who'd been married for 12 years or so at the time and just giving her this big hug and just bursting into tears and thinking <laughs> that's my wife said that's cool as we walked away and I was wiping snot off my face it was a um firstly it wasn't cool she was spot on um but it was also a reminder I think of the incredible power of teachers I mean I have absolutely no idea what this lady taught me it was probably something to do with maybe not fractions it was year two it's probably shapes and counting and bit of writing but I, I don't remember how she or what she taught me I remember how she made me feel and I think in true sort of in her true sort of educator way she she had no idea of the impact she had on my life and I have no doubt that that was I was just one of many but when I walked into her room I felt like I felt like I was the most important person in that room. And so it was a reminder of the, as I said, the incredible power um, of um, what teachers do. And so, uh, yeah, I would, for those people that are listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode uh, because we had a really honest conversation um, about the power of teachers, but, uh, but I digress. Um, Stephen, um, coming back to you, what's your, What's your favourite chapter in the book and why? It's like asking a favourite child, but anyway, I'll give it a go. Um, three stick out as sort of yep. the ones that jump off the page for me, and I'll, I won't go into great detail about all of them. Yep. Um, the obvious one is Polly Dunning's, which was about how basically the stress you put on teachers gets pushed down the line to students. Yep. Um, Alex Wharton, 
who yeah. chap the chapter wasn't about this particular topic. And, you know, I'm saying these names particularly because I imagine if they haven't been on the podcast yet, they will be in the future. Alex um, has recently. He's um, amazing. Yeah. Anyway. And also, you know, obviously you'll have to interview both my wife and Keith's wife as well, because they're obviously <laughs> superior to both of us from the sounds of it. Um, uh, the, yeah. the warm-up episode. And then, That's uh... right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Alex Wharton, um, and his chapter was wonderful, but the, just this one particular thing really stuck with me, which was his idea of, and I can't remember the way he framed it, but it was like, teaching is so difficult and so taxing and so strenuous that you need to have like a, and you know, I'll use my wife's example, she has a playlist that's called Miss Culver's Gonna Have a Good Day, and it's all the Beyonce, all the power ballads, all the things, because yeah. some days that's what you need to G yourself up, as it were. And Alex wrote about like, you know, anytime a student writes you a note or sends you a really nice email or something, you know, an email that says, we know you're sick, but we can't wait till you're back. Anything, anytime you get those sort of things, put them together, put them in a place, whether they're physical or not. Um, and those can be the things that you kind of smirk and smile at. Um, and the other one, of course, is Beck West, which fits neatly with that because just like me, I know Beck West somewhere has a as a signed letter from Scott Morrison saying, hey, you're a great teacher, thanks for that. And that to me in so many levels is funny, ironic, and so many other things besides uh, <laughs> one of those nice things, but also wry smile on the side because of um, various political things that you know yes. uh, may be obvious or not. Uh, but yeah, Beck, Beck wrote about like the divisions that we as teachers have between um, you know, practicing teacher, consultant, you know, oh, he was a teacher, she was a teacher, but now they're an academic. Even things like, you know, me as an English teacher, I'm saying, oh, us English teachers are so creative and fun. Look at us in our multicolored shirts. Meanwhile, all the math teachers are all wearing black, like they're off to a funeral. And, you know, those little things that we flippantly throw around, like are genuine divisions that sort of separate us, you know, oh, uh, you know, at uni, the primary school teachers would be the good looking ones who, you know, head out for coffee straight after the lecture and the secondary school teachers, you know, or the really intellectual ones or whatever. All of these things that we kind of just flip around back sort of condensed and sort of summarized into something that I think has quite broad sort of um, sort of generalizations that say a lot about teaching as a profession because, you know, things that start small become quite big. But Holly Dunnings, right, this is i got to read you a little bit. She said, one thing I found hopeful, helpful to remember in a world so obsessed with doing your best is that, in fact, near enough is actually good enough most of the time. And giving 100% effort to 100% of things 100% of the time is 100% a recipe for disaster. I try to choose the things that matter, the things that meaningfully help my students and give those my best, at least some of the time. Because the best thing for our students is definitely not a stressed out teacher. It's also not adults perpetuating this idea that they should be giving their all to everything all the time. We all need more permission to drop a ball sometimes because we can't juggle anymore. We just need to learn not to drop the glass ones. Oh, amazing. I feel like I should laminate that and put that up on my wall. Uh, I, I love it. And when I read that, it reminded me um, uh, that there's this quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's talking about juggling balls and saying that there are some balls, balls that it's okay if you drop they're made of rubber they may scuff they may be it may be inconvenient it may be frustrating but there are certain balls that you can't drop and that be family that be health that be emotional your emotional state because if you drop them they will shatter and the the, the likelihood of repairing them are 
far greater than the uh, far um, more challenging than the rubber balls. And so when I read that, um, that really that quote that really jumped out at me to say, look, you know what, it is okay, and we we don't expect our students to give a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time. Uh, mm. We to um uh to follow their passions and also to have some let something left in the tanks um but really uh really profound and um i i there's i i couldn't i know you're not you guys are not ask, asking me but i couldn't choose a favorite chapter there was just so many in there from so many different angles um uh, keith do you have any ones that uh, stood out to you um i felt that the more i read through them the more they spoke to me at different points in the day and it was yeah but what what, what are your thoughts and i think that any ones that really stood out to you you're asking me to pick my favorites here <laughs> you know you can't do that with your children you can't <laughs> do that with your book <laughs> um but uh which ones did i really enjoy reading i, I liked amy cotton's yeah um, where she talked about you know, how unionism might need to change a little bit. I really like Jemima Colbert's one, um, you know, because it it's uh, it was so practical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we started off this conversation thinking about, you know, what can I do on Monday with, with Year 9? And, well, you could do that in Monday with Year 9 and, and you know, they'd get something out of it. Um, I thought Mahalia Gavin's chapter was excellent. That was about... Um, you know the, the the challenges facing teachers, and and then it taps into a an area of research of both Stephen and I's about how we might rejuvenate teaching unions, um, and and the need for that. Um, Cameron Patterson's chapter was really good as well. Um, that that was that was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I did like Beck West's chapter. Oh, Ruth Ruth Starmer's chapter. Yeah, um, she spoke about um, teacher professional development. And yeah. it was the most comprehensive kind of analysis of what we're getting wrong, but also how we could do it better. Um, yeah, that was very, very good as well. Yeah. And, and you're right. It is like choosing a, a favourite child. And, and what I'll do is I'll obviously put a link to your work in the show notes. And I'll also provide some details um, to reach out to each of these educators because um, it is um, – I'm so grateful for this work. It's a, It's an amazing accumulation of – different perspectives in teaching but all focused on the same thing which is improving our incredible profession and also democratizing education and making sure that it is um, accessible for all people i think you talk about some incredibly raw and honest topics and um it's about time somebody spoke to those so i'm hugely grateful for your uh um, editing prowess there and keeping some of those voices in. Um, gentlemen, I do want to be um, respectful of your time. I'm aware that it is um, an evening and uh, we've got school tomorrow. Um, but um, I, I did just, uh, in closing, um, want to ask a couple of questions. And and, and Stephen, are you um, hopeful about the direction that education is heading, in particularly focusing on Australia? Um, or do you have, um, what are some of the things that you see on the horizon? I think change is coming slowly, glacially, like most things in education. Um, but I think one thing that we're starting to, and I mean, when I say we, uh, one thing that the broader education system starting to understand is that our teachers are of the highest caliber and quality. Um, I've worked with hundreds of thousands of teachers in Australia and abroad. And I can say it's very rare to meet a teacher who isn't giving um, almost all of themselves for the work that they're doing. Um, and more, more and more, we're starting to realise that the things that are limiting teachers are those that are, you know, structural. And so those structural changes are starting to change 
to to happen you know the kind of things that need to make the lives of teachers easier and possible less time in class because you know as much as we love class uh it comes to the end of the day and you haven't had a chance to prepare your lessons so next thing you know you're up at night uh, at all hours preparing etc cetera, etc cetera. and as polly said in her in her chapter that leads to stress and the one thing we know for sure is that if you, if I'm a stressed teacher and I'm trying to, you know, deliver mindfulness and calm classrooms, uh, it's not going to work. And then my students become stressed. And, you know, you have the uh, the cascade of crises and uh, the impact all the way down. So I think things are changing slowly. Um, and I think very much Victoria seems to be leading the way in many respects. Um, and so I'm hoping New South Wales will uh, will follow along in that respect, not not to talk too much about federalism and how it all breaks down across different states and all that boring minutia. Uh, but I do really think that, um, at least at the moment, the uh, education department in Victoria and the union and various academic groups are sort of seem to be pulling in the same direction, which is really exciting to see. So I see nothing but good things ahead. Um, you know, but maybe that's just me being an endless, you know, optimist. Yeah. Um, uh, Keith, do you have any thoughts on that? What do you, uh, what do you see for the future of education? And are you, um, are, are you pleased with the trends that you're noticing? Oh no, not at all. <laughs> it's it's far too slow, and what progress there is. But I'm optimistic because how can you do this job if you're not? You know, <laughs> I am. Um, I get a thrill every time I walk into my my adult classroom now and I talk to to soon to be teachers about teaching um and and they are good people and they are interested in in learning the art the the craft and I think they're going to make wonderful teachers um I, I have grave concerns about the direction of education uh, I think I think Passy Salberg's great line about accountability is what's left when you take away responsibility um, is a crucial thing. To be honest, I, I think uh, at the moment, there's, there's just, there, there is no educational problem in this country that we couldn't fix by doubling teachers' wages tomorrow. You, not enough teachers, double the wages, it will fix it. The, the standard of teaching isn't high enough, whatever the heck that means, double it tomorrow and i guarantee you it will be high enough um you know teachers leaving the profession double the teaching wage and they will no longer be leaving the profession you know um and and i think you know with doubling the teaching wage there'll come uh you know a growing realization from teachers themselves that they are worth this and more um mm -hmm. you know that kind of not not ego or arrogance but the recognition that they are foundational aspects in our hopefully modern democratic society and they deserve to be paid for the vital and important work they do um all this talk about you know paying teachers a little bit extra or you know the dreaded teach for australia rubbish um you know sorry paying teachers extra but only some teachers extra um you know all of that is is incredibly pointless <laughs> yeah <laughs> what we need is is um it changes from within the teaching profession and, and then that will lead to changes from without, you know, we, we need to take ourselves seriously in order to be taken seriously. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard, but uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, and optimistic, but gee, it's slow. It really is. It, it, it sure is. Um, 
Stephen, let's just imagine uh, we were sitting down uh, having a uh, hot chocolate um, and uh, having a conversation. Um, I'm just about to step foot into the classroom for the first time. I am bright eyed. I'm bushy tailed. I've uh, just done my teaching interview. What advice would you give me? What one piece of advice would you give me as a new teacher? Uh, don't smile before Easter. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, uh, to be honest, the more the more I've spoken about education, the thing I would say to my first year self or a first year fresh eyed teacher is just try and be as consistent with what you want and who you are as you can be from day one. So if you're the fun, happy, crazy telling jokes teacher, that, you know, die on your sword, go out there and bomb and get walked all over. But if that's who you are, um, then that's what the students deserve to see. I think too often uh, the exact opposite happens as as my flippant opening begun with. Um, you know, you try and be the strict teacher or, you know, you try to be um, that teacher who's just interested in the content and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, get to know your kids and stay consistent with whatever it is that you are and why, whatever reason you're in that classroom for. Um, make sure that you're acting in a way consistent with that, and that's that's what we write about. That's what we talk about. That's that's the goal. You you know, each teacher has their own little vision, and our classroom should be you know in a perfect world, crystal clear representations of that fact. Interesting and uh, similar question to you, Keith. But uh, imagine we were sitting down having a flat white, just uh, just as a real plain coffee. Um, and I'm a, uh, I'm about to step into a school principalship. What advice? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a good one. I don't know. Um, I never made it to principal. I was only, I was only assistant principal. Um, it's okay. but, but, uh, I guess what I'd say is, you know, well, yeah, the only thing I would say, and, and it's based purely on the best principal I ever worked for, um, every morning, get out there and say hello to the kids. Mm. I saw I saw somebody who I um, who I deeply respect on Twitter. He he was talking about how many principals in public schools get out and uh, in the morning and greet the kids as they come into school in the morning. And he he put it down to Jihad Dib, who used to be a principal at Fairfield or somewhere like that, um, as starting this trend. And I'm like, no, I've known principals for twenty years who who recognise the value of being present and visible. And knowing as many of those thousand odd children in your high school by name, um, yeah, because because you can't you can't um, you can't beat that kind of relationship building that happens. You might think, oh come on, what's what's five minutes in the morning going to do? Um, it's but everything. it's everything. Yeah, yeah, everything. I I couldn't agree more. I think. Um... Gentlemen, I think that's a really interesting uh, place to finish. And I am so incredibly grateful uh, for your work. Um, and I would encourage those people to, um, uh, the people that are listening, uh, to get a copy um, or um, at least, the very least, follow the amazing work that you're doing. Um, I'm hugely grateful uh, that you'll take the time to talk with me uh, on a Monday night when you could be doing other things. And uh, Stephen, I wish you all the best with your uh, with the birth of your second one. Uh, I look forward to uh, hearing how it goes. Yeah, good. I, I should just say thanks to you, especially. Um, there's just, there's really, and I can say this confidently because I've listened to yours and many others, there's not many podcasts out there that are, we're going to interview some teachers. It's, you know, it's easy to think, oh, we'll get Professor, Doctor, so-and-so, 
uh, and we'll get dot, 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 but to actually, you know, call your podcast The Art of Teaching and then to do do what it says on the tin and talk to teachers, um, it's hard to do. And I know that as being someone who's sought out interviews before, it's way easier to kind of, you know, click that publicity link and go, go find the big names, but to actually um, be interviewing the really great teachers we have in Australia is contributing to, uh, you know, Keith and I and your own vision of what teaching could be by, you know, f putting forward those teachers' voices. So keep doing the great work you're doing, please. Thank you so much, Keith. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to talk to you. Uh, please uh, keep up the great work. And uh, for those people that want to follow the work that yourself and Stephen are doing, I'll put links into the show notes. Uh, Keith, do you have any sort of closing closing thoughts for our listeners or any parting comments? Oh, keep the faith, teachers. Keep the faith. The work you do is so important. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll be recognised. Amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Matthew. That was great fun. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.